Welcome to the Pretty Intense Podcast. If you would please hit the subscribe button, I really appreciate it. Today, I have Jaya. Jaya is an award-winning somatic sexologist. She's an author, founder, and creator of the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough. You've got to go take that test. And she was in Netflix, Sex, Love, and Goop. And she also has a book coming out called Your Blueprint for Pleasure. And in fact, that's kind of her motto and mantra in, in life and with her uh, people she works with is like, more pleasure. Um, and the thing that you'll realize is that it's not necessarily just like, go have more sex, have more orgasms. It's like pleasure comes in so many different ways. It's about feeling more confident, more comfortable, warming the body up, moving energy. There's there's so many ways. So, you know, first going into like, what is Tantra? I think of it like it's just sex, but it's so much more. And then, of course, into the blueprints and you know, you'll be able to probably identify what yours is. So we get into that stuff and we get into porn, polyamory, self-pleasure, all kinds of, you know, everything around sex. Like what, and then of course, what do couples deal with and what do they, you know, what is, what is in the way of having a good sex life? I'm not going to say that I am like, oh yeah, I talk about sex all the time, but it was very easy and Jaya makes it very easy. And so I hope that you learn and enjoy a lot from this episode. I feel like it's going to be a lot like basically like the five love languages, which has become such a common thing for people to know what it is, but you're going to know like your one or two signs, like your one or two ways of receiving love. And after this, you're going to know your one or two ways of receiving pleasure. So enjoy. Hey, exciting announcement by Optimizers. Black Friday mega sale is happening now and will last through the entire month of November. And listen carefully because this mega deal is available only for my listeners with only my code. We all know the importance of sleep when it comes to our overall well-being. And while some might say you can't buy a good night's sleep, I'm here to tell you that yes, you absolutely can. I'm talking about Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, a true game changer in the quest for a better night's sleep. It's a product I trust because it combines all seven critical forms of magnesium into one convenient bottle. So keep in mind that when you supply your body with these essential magnesium forms, you're in for an incredible upgrade. Magnesium supports a balanced inflammatory response, promotes healthy restorative sleep, relaxation, calmness, and a better stress response. Buy Optimizer. The Black Friday mega sale is happening right now and lasting through the entire month of November. The biggest discount you can get and amazing gifts with purchase are available only on my page, buyoptimizers.com slash Danica with the code Danica10 at checkout. Choose health this Black Friday. Your well-rested, calmer, and healthier self will thank you. Remember, it's bioptimizers.com slash Danica with code Danica10. This is uh, going to be a fun one. It's interesting. There's this pause there because of the, literally the first thing I wanted to ask you about was why this, why is sex such a taboo topic? Like, how did we get here? Because everyone does it eventually, for the most part, I would almost guess really everyone does it, including animals. So <laughs> it's such a weird topic to talk about. What's the big deal? I think for me, this journey of unraveling, why don't we talk about sex? Why is sex so taboo? I think it comes from a lot of different perspectives, but my deepest truth around it is that sex is so incredibly powerful that it helps us remember who we are. And there is a taboo, as Alan Watts said, of knowing who we truly are and who we deeply are. And so this taboo of sex as a tool, especially when used consciously, 
to remind us of our own power and our own magnificence and our own creativity. That's taboo. And so there has been a taboo about sex because there's a taboo of knowing who we are and sex gets us closer to that. Uh, Earlier this year, I've gotten far more interested in the topic and exploring its history and its power. And earlier this year, I read the Magdalene Manuscript. and Ah, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books. Yeah, and just sort of taking that in, just the, the true power is the right word that sex has on our reality, on our power itself, the power of the, of it, giving power, you know, and just even the historical context with Jesus and Mary Magdalene and, you know, using sex magic to strengthen the, his ka body and just manifesting things. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, you're talking my language here. I've just spent a lot of my life studying Mary Magdalene and Christ. And I just got back from Paris where I was performing my one person show. And the one person show is about this story of Magdalene and Christ using this energy of sacred union and sexual energy to take the polarities of masculine and feminine, bring them into union for the manifestation of this energetic body. And so I love the story of Magdalene and Christ and really I think it's interesting how we've suppressed the story in spirituality, that sexuality is a big part of that. And we've suppressed the story of the feminine in spirituality and the actual teachings and wisdom that have come from that. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes of religion is actually to separate, you know, and not have the feminine as part of the teaching and teachers and priestesses who are teaching these historical and very, very powerful techniques. And this is where we get into Tantra and, you know, talking about the power of sex as a tool in Tantra and Eros Gamos being sex sacred union from the Greeks. But then when we look at the Mithuna rituals and Tantra or Tantric Tibetan Buddhism, and we start to really learn that maybe God wasn't just a man in the clouds, you know, God has feminine and masculine aspects. And it's actually the union of that. I think we're oneness who is remembering two-ness. A lot of times people teach that we're two-ness remembering oneness, but we're already oneness learning how to play two-ness. So I was thinking about like this, like alchemical marriage or like this union of the masculine and feminine. And then I was thinking about how in, in so many different ways, because like the nature of reality is also a big fascination of mine. And how things quite are quite fractal in nature. And so the patterns reemerge in different places. And, and then I think about divide and conquer. And so like, whether it's red versus blue or uh, whether it's masculine and feminine, but like you divide people and then it's easier to conquer when they're not, when it's, when they're not unified, like how does this happen? Like how, and then, and then take us through the process of that. Is, is, is that the right way to, is that alchemical marriage, the right, right, thing to use to describe. Yeah, I I love that term alchemical marriage. Because I think a lot in sexuality, we think of chemistry between two people, but I'm less interested in chemistry and more interested in the alchemy between two people. And like you just said, like, you know, we have chemistry, you know, we're, we're at our whim of our biochemistry, or we're at the whim of attraction in chemistry. But if the intention in coming together with another person is how do we create alchemy, we're in a really powerful place. And so I love that you use alchemical union for 
you know, describing this very powerful experience that we can have through sexuality. And it's, I think it's been forgotten. And I think one of the reasons why we live in such a polarized state is because within the polarized state, we get to play a different game. <laughs> it's like through polarity that we actually learn who we truly are sometimes. Um, and and I also think it's through polarity that we have the universe that we have. We have a dichotomy within us that we're exploring because if we're always in in union, then we don't get to explore. I always say it's so lucky that we have these bodies and that we get to explore sensation and touch and taste and through the senses i think sometimes spirituality teaches like let's get away from the senses and the body is bad and the flesh is bad but there's actually also a path and that's why tantra was created for the left-handed path of of tantra is let's go through the body let's go through the senses let's use pleasure for our own awakening and our our human aliveness and it is about being both human and spirit and that dichotomy, it's a yes and both. I think when we see them as separate, then they become even more separate. But when we can see, oh, masculine and feminine are actually one, it's a yes and. Yeah, I like that because it's all like, it's like the things that I've experienced, <clears throat> you know, in the last five or so years of my life, it's the same whole, like, it's like, it's a continuum. It's just one side or the other of this continuum. So when do we know when something is actually hot versus when do we know some, when something's actually cold and it's kind of just a continuum right. and, and, and the masculine and feminine you're saying is the same too. Mm -hmm. So how does sex play into that then? How do we use sex to create alchemy? Like how do we actually back up since you just talked about Tantra, let's talk about Tantra. What's Tantra? Tantra is liberation through expansion, expansion through liberation. And it's a form of yoga. There's many different tantras. So there's white tantra, which is more of a meditation-based tantra. There's pink tantra, which is a very heart-centered that utilizes the white and the red tantra together. That's my lineage. I came from a pink tantra. Red Tantra is much more of like sexual or geastics with the, more the taboo. Um, but if we're going to go really taboo, that's Black Tantra or Agora Tantra. And that's where we get into like the really taboo types of sexuality, which I'm I'm really into studying. How do we transmute these darker energies? If we're going to use, again, polarities, dark and light, I see it as a continuum as well, not like opposites. But this the agora tantricas would take something that felt very dark or taboo or wrong and transmute it into unconditional love like so like for example they have to have sex in a cremation uh, grounds in india or do their meditations in cremation grounds because that someone's dying is something that we consider very dark or you know not not a place to meditate it's not the temple where you're meditating you're meditating in the cremation grounds. But the idea again is like, we're going to take death. We're going to take suffering, human suffering, and we're going to transmute that into unconditional love. We're going to utilize that for our own awakening. And they consider that a very advanced Tantra because with that very advanced Tantra, it's easier to meditate in the temple than it would be, you know, to meditate, make love and do sacred union and alchemy in a cremation. I don't know. Maybe some people would think different. <laughs> Meditating in a temple or a church would be like, it's <laughs> on your background. <laughs> yeah. And so Tantra is a way, is a tool, is a methodology, is a science 
that helps us to feel union again. And um, again, different ways in which all the different tantricas approach that. Uh, Kashmiri Tantra, for example, based on like Shivaitism, uh, that's very non-dual. So it goes, takes you into a non-dual state of consciousness. And I love that as well. It's like, well, how do we explore all these states of consciousness where it isn't like one is better than the other? I think that's a really integral approach of looking at all the different tantras and going, well, let's visit and explore all of these. And what feels really good, what feels really pleasurable, that's always my, one of my mottos is how can it be more pleasurable? How can orgasm, how can pleasure, how can we utilize that energy to have these awakenings of ourselves? And that's really exciting to think about of, we can do this in pleasure. We don't have to do it in suffering. I like that a lot. So when we, when I feel like most anybody, including myself, generally speaking, you know, you think about tantric sex or you think about tantra and you think about just sort of like some state of ecstasy some Mm -hmm. state of like prolonged ecstasy perhaps where you're able to you know you sort of step outside the normal pattern or rhythm of something and there's a there's the the body and breath and like your mind is used to sort of create this container that's more expansive and last longer than the norm so mm-hmm. what's what about that is accurate and where what am I missing beyond that so that I can get a better complete feel for like what Tantra really is mm-hmm. the ecstasis is something that I think we start with is going into these ecstatic prolonged orgasm uh states and there's nothing wrong with those states of consciousness of course like yes let's go into these ecstatic states let's experience all that there is to experience within this human body of Mm -hmm. all that is erotically possible of all those states of ecstasy that we can go into and then there's like to me the ultimate orgasm is that non-dual state of consciousness where you recognize that everything was birthed out of an orgasmic frequency and that's it's it's you become one with everything mm. and there's the annihilation of yourself in that moment of orgasm there's an mm. annihilation of everything you've known into something that we don't even have words to describe what are the practices or what is the thinking and then feeling that allows you to get into that space because surely you don't just arrive there at some like fantastic orgasm one day where you're like I'm one with everything like you have have some awareness to the that idea itself so what's the pathway go slow and gentle I mean people do have spontaneous experiences of that but it often comes with like headaches and physical body experiences and also like I don't understand what happened to me so it's hard to integrate on the other side so it can be a little disconcerting I actually just had a really big spontaneous event happen Um, when I was doing my Mary Magdalene stuff in Paris. I had a a spontaneous event that lasted 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I had no idea, like I was sitting in a cafe in Paris and then all of a sudden I was in ecstasy and they had to take me back. Like I couldn't talk. I was, I was in a completely different state of consciousness and it lasted for 30 days. What? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that was spontaneous and I wasn't doing breath 
breath work or so it can happen spontaneously, but I also have been studying this for 30 years. So, you know, it helped that I had those tools. If I hadn't had those tools, I would have thought like, we need to put me in the hospital, you know, kind of a thing, but I had familiarity with going into those States and, um, and so usually it's breath work with sex. So um, a simple one that everyone can do is this in mouth, mouth breathing in and out of the mouth mm-hmm. and staring in each other's eyes as you're doing it on a, on a rhythm and deepening the breath. Mm-hmm. And so you're, then you're utilizing both the sexual sensation and the breath with eye contact with mm-hmm. intention and that mm-hmm. intention being to move the sexual energy through the whole body and through the spine yes. and, um, and getting into rhythm and the, cause that starts to create this trance. It starts to create a different state of consciousness. And then you bring it through the body and, um, different breathing techniques can do that. So like a holotropic breath work, mm-hmm. like stand Groff, but utilizing it during sex, um, can be really powerful. So I use the tools always of breath sound movement intention Mm -hmm. in anything where I'm looking to create a state change through utilizing erotic energy. And then the other thing that I think is really interesting is just how our anatomy is set up, how cerebral spinal fluid works, and then how we have this pineal gland in our brain that actually ejaculates, you know, it releases. Really? Yes, it can. So you can put pressure on that hydraulic pressure on your pineal gland. And then that pressure stimulates it and you can have ejaculation yeah the The little crystals crystals. so is that at his events there are people during the breath work that have orgasms of such will be you know it's dead quiet and everybody's doing their breath work and then all of a sudden you hear somebody going "Ah!" and you're like what the heck is going on so is that what that is it could be. It could be that the pineal gland is ejaculating, their brain state is changing, DMT is being produced, you know, or released from that, from that. And then they're having an ecstatic experience as the energy is moving up the spine and into the brain um, that can create an ecstatic experience. And coming back to you talking about ecstatic experiences with Tantra, I think the danger in ecstatic experience is chasing the experience. And as soon as we start to chase it, we're no longer, um, we're in a chasing state as opposed to being in the actual direct experience of the state. Um, and so that's, that's interesting to me too, because how do we maintain a state and, and not get attached to the tool, even sexuality, you know, we talk about psychedelics and sexuality and the, some of these tools that take us into these I think they're natural states of consciousness, not altered states of consciousness, you know, or they're expanded from our everyday. But this natural state of consciousness, that is who we are. And we start to then create more of um, not a stage or a state change, but it becomes something that is that is a norm. It's a new baseline for us. Now, our new baseline is this state of joy, orgasm, ecstasy, instead of chasing it. Okay. Since you've achieved that, at least I'm hearing, you know, we're, we're just starting the conversation, but for at least 30 days, you changed it for sure. But generally speaking, I'm sure you've sort of leveled up. So what does that feel like? What does it feel like to change your state Mm. on a regular, on a, I don't know if maybe it's probably permanent, some of the levels, 
Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? What's the what's the difference? It feels like you're embodied, you have embodied what that experience was. And then even if something fluctuates, it's very easy to return. You know, if something in life happens, mm-hmm. you're not in resistance to those things in life happening. Mm-hmm. You are, okay, here's anger. And I love and accept that anger. Mm-hmm. And then the anger can flow as opposed to, re- there's not as much resistance to exactly. what is showing up in life. Mm-hmm. And you notice that you've embodied something that before was just an idea and now you're living it. And so you're living more like, you know, what are some of the ways that you get to the point where you embody something? Because I, I, I've experienced varying sort of things from the state of wanting, thinking, knowing, embodying, right? Like when they become embodied, there's really like, for me, my, my, my experience of that is, it's just like, there's a knowing it's just like, it just is, mm-hmm. there's no reaching. There's no, no, not having, there's just, mm-hmm. it just is like, it's something that just is now instead of like, man, I really want to, Oh, trying to get that or, or I don't want that. It's just things that are. And so explain how we can get to like the, how, how do we embody, what are the pathways to embodiment of something? Hmm. Pathways to embodiment. I think that there's, there are passive ways of doing that. And then there are active ways. So I'll speak Mm -hmm. to that a little. Yeah. And I also want to speak to a little of like getting there. I think that, and this could be a more passive, just like a brain change, like a way of brain changing because getting there appears as if you're not in something. Mm -hmm. And so there's this also acceptance that this is, and I like saying the phrase, isness is ising all the time. And the infinite is that is. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's that passive way of even just feeling that like everything is and i can i can close my eyes for a moment and take a breath and slow down and be in that place where everything just is slow down and then there's the active things maybe it's and i think that's different for every person maybe it's reading and really studying and their path is wisdom and their wisdom then becomes embodied by reading it over and over and over again and being exposed to it over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think some people need to do the practices and be in flow with their body. Maybe it's a yoga practice or maybe it's making love because we're talking about sexuality as this tool, you know, maybe it's practicing tantric sex every day. Um, I practiced every day for 10 years never missed my practice. And that was just part of practicing a breathing, a breath, uh, an intention. Was there an action, an action too, whether it was self or with? Yeah, I would do. So I would always start with my intention for the day in my practice. And then from there, I would activate my body in some way. So that could be some kind of yoga practice, um, dancing, moving, shaking, doing exercise, something that I could do to really get my body activated. Mm -hmm. And then I would still my mind. So some Mm -hmm. kind of meditation, um, and in Tantra, we have very, in the Tantric lineage that I was in, we had very specific practices we would do from like 
breathing in and out of the pineal gland type of visualizations or mantra, something to just really still the mind chatter that's there. Mm-hmm. And then from stilling the mind, arousing sexual energy. So this could be with a partner where I would be making love, or we would do some kind of sexual activity to really get the sexual energy moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could mean clothed and not even in intercourse, but sometimes it could be intercourse. Okay. And then if it wasn't with a partner, then that would be a solo practice of moving sexual energy and starting to arouse sexual energy. So that could be a self-pleasure practice that I'm doing that day or an exploration of my G spot, something mm-hmm. um, that could be more what we would consider sexual blueprint, mm-hmm. um, or that could be all energetic where I imagine that I'm making love with a consort, um, something sure. like that. Um, so arousing the sexual energy and then transmuting sexual energy. And I think that's the most important piece in terms of what we were talking about before with the pineal gland. So you're always bringing the energy from the root or from the sexual centers up through the body mm-hmm. and transmuting that into whatever you're manifesting. If you're doing manifestation type of practice, or if you're transmuting, like I was talking about the darker energies into unconditional love or if the intention is for your own awakening or healing that you can move that energy then and transmute it through the body and up into the brain. So with the intention at the beginning and then the moving of the end of the sexual energy and transmuting it, those things, those things go together without having to actually do something with moving the energy, the moving of the energy emphasizes the intention. Is that the, that's how I understand it. Is that absolutely Okay. Absolutely. So, so holding your intention and then when you move that energy up into the higher centers, mm-hmm. then that's starting to move that into that manifestation mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to do a thing where in my uh, company, they had Jaya's orgasm in the um, morning, every morning. And uh, that was because I was doing a manifestation practice. And in that time I quadrupled <laughs> my business. So, you know, like, I was like, like there's something um, to this. Like, so I was like, um, Jaya, did you uh, get your orgasm done today? That's part of, part of the day. <laughs> One of our core brand values is pleasure first. So it's just part of like pleasure to start the day, pleasure to start a meeting. You know, how are you incorporating pleasure first into your life every day? And yeah. I think we don't celebrate enough in terms of even just our wins throughout our lives. And then we go on to the next thing and the next thing. And Always, yeah. how are we really celebrating? In all of my plant medicine journeys and explorations, it's generally speaking, or even if you talk to somebody that's much older, like things that get simpler and it's like, it's just here to be experienced. Like, that's what I get just, just to experience. Like, it's not really a lot more than that. And we are such meaning making machines that we are always trying to find out the who, the where, the what, the when, the why, the what next, the what happened, like. There's always, there's just always the next thing onto the next thing always. Yeah. And I think there's something really beautiful in resting and experience because as we rest and experience, we can rest more in self and the beauty of just being what and who we are and life will unfold, (laughs) but it's much more enjoyable when we're just being who we are instead of chasing the next thing. I mean, I checked all the boxes in life. 2017, I hit like, all my success, all my goals. I had like the perfect life. And I was just like, why do I not feel fulfilled? I've hit every success and like, what's next? And I checked everything. And 
I'm supposed to be really happy, aren't I? Yeah. And then I wasn't. And so that's when I went on a deeper exploration of, well, what's this thing really about? If I'm not happy, what is, what is this about? What are we here for? And I started asking bigger questions. Who am I and what's truth? And um, yeah, really looking at, at what was deeper beyond all of the chasing and all of the what's next. And that's when I found myself. I'd love for you to elaborate on that. What, what did you find? Yeah. So I, in 2017, I went and got my brain scanned with Dr. Amen. I don't know if you know who Daniel Amen. I do. I've done the same thing. And um, they were like, you have CPTSD. I'm like, okay, well, what's that? And they're like, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm like, all right. (laughs) And so we looked at like ways to heal it and it was really resistant. And so I started looking on my own and I found that MDMA therapy could help with CPTSD. It was one of the, you know, the research from maps and those kinds of places that were showing that. And I was like, okay, let's, let's go explore that. You know, I've done all these other tools. I've done all these other things. I've had these glimpses of who I am. I've had these glimpses through sexuality as we've been talking about, but I really wanted to look at healing my brain on that level. And so I did my first session. My first session was an absolute miracle. I have not had a CPTSD symptom since that session. Yeah, it was, I had a, I had a really lucky therapy or first session of. It was MDMA therapy. MDMA therapy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I found a guide and you know, that's not for, not everybody has that experience and definitely psychedelics aren't for everyone, but that it was a miracle for me, the way that it worked for me. And then it was probably my third my fourth session was my fourth session with the guide when I had a complete mystical experience. And it was through this breath. I was just telling you about, about drawing the breath up into my, I knew how to do that. I was doing like all my Tantra and utilizing that while I was in the journey. And all of a sudden it was like, everything went white. And I had this experience of complete unity with everything. And, you know, how do we, how do we explain these experiences? It's really hard to put into words, but I realized that I saw the cosmic game, like, you know, we're, we're all God. And we decided to play this really fun game of remembering who we are. And I, I have theories now on why we play this game. I think the first one is to experience and express like you were talking about, you know, we come, we come here to have this experience. Otherwise it's just nothing. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> um, we come to know who we are. We come to see, you know, who are we really? And we can't see each other. We can't see ourselves unless we have the opposite of ourselves. And so we create a world of duality and dichotomy. And we come because maybe we're lonely. There's only one. So we want playmates. <laughs> So we create more of ourselves so we can love, love ourselves, you know, in the shape of others. I, I like saying, I love loving myself in the shape of you. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great line. <laughs> and then um, I think also because there's boredom. <laughs> so <laughs> why not create an infinite world and infinite worlds in which to explore and express and create and choose, choose now who we are, like, we we now understand who we are. So every day now becomes a choice of what we want to create as infinite creators. Well, if we're that infinite being, then we would get bored. Yeah. That's why we got a dream too, because 
I think that's part of what makes these experiences in other states or our natural state ineffable because there's so much more information in those spaces. It becomes embodied. And to me, in those spaces are where I have embodied things the deepest, the most. Because it's such an experience. It feels so visceral. It's so real that you because it might be our natural state that you're like, oh, and it's like almost a remembering in those places and spaces where you go, oh, and then it becomes embodied. And that's just the way it is. And um, and it's and it's and it's because we are so much more than just this experience in this, this state of being asleep or um, in some kind of trance or limited awareness of while awake um, that we, we can't really hold that information, we can't hold that much information. Um, but in those states we can, and it really feels like to me that you get a glimpse into just the, the vastness and like how much we really are. And that to me, why I can't describe it. Cause there's just so much information in such a tight little area and such a small experience that when I use the words, it's like, and then I was sitting there and I cried because I realized that I was supposed to f- like be my own perfect partner. And it's like, okay, that's like a sentence or two but like the whole experience was so freaking huge like it was like waves and waves of mourning and crying and there's just like the feeling is something that you really just can't get across it's like trying to describe to someone who's never had an orgasm what an orgasm is (laughs) right (laughs) until you have the direct experience of an orgasm Mm. you have no idea what i'm talking about (laughs) so right okay let's get into some of the okay let's get into the blueprint so i tried to get um i tried to do the blueprint i was like last night i was like i need to find what my exotic blueprint is and or erotic blueprint and so i went on and i put i have an old very old AOL address. And oh, was, no. I clicked through and I was like, whatever, whatever. And then I was like, why didn't I get it? And then I saw again, I was like, I clicked on it again. And it said, if you have an AOL or something else, it's a problem for the system. And I was yeah. like, yeah. So I'm going to do it. But I was totally going to be honest about whatever I was. I just don't know because I didn't. Think <laughs> well, maybe we'll find out as I describe them. Oh, yes. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I'd love so to. the first one is energetic. And we've been talking a lot in the energetic blueprint. I mean, talking about Tantra and different states and all of this. So energetics are someone who's turned on by anticipation, space, tease, yearning, and longing. And so the more that they have those things, the more arousal that they feel. Their superpower is that they can go into these expanded states of consciousness through sexuality, oneness experiences, mystical experiences, and having multidimensional orgasmic states that they can play in. But the shadow side of that is that they can get hypersensitive and too much, too quick, too fast can shut them down, turn them off. Oftentimes they've had some kind of trauma in their past that created the hypersensitivity that can be a superpower or it can on the flip side, be the shadow. And a lot of people don't know how to play energetically with sexuality, unless they've studied Tantra or some of these other things, they don't really know how to do it. So a lot of times energetics feel like they're weird or they're broken or they've put up an armor so that they can be sexual with their partner in the way that their partner wants, because people don't understand and they misunderstand that actually they're not sexually frigid or shut down. They're just so sensitive that less is more. It's like, don't do a cannonball into the water. Just dip your finger in and let it ripple slowly. 
And then a sensual is someone who likes all of their senses being ignited. So the sensual likes the touch collapsed. Mm -hmm. They like the smells and the taste. They bring all the beauty and artistry to the erotic experience. So whereas the energetic likes all the space, the sensual is like, no, come slow dance with me. Come cuddle with me. Those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then the sensual shadow is getting caught in your head. So you are like, wait a minute, I need to call that person. Oops, you're just distracted by all the things. Breath smells. Is everything okay down there? These kinds of things are going on in your brain instead of enjoying the pleasure um, that can really come from the sexual experience. Another superpower of the sensual is that they can have non-genital orgasms. So orgasms from, I call it crevice sex, where, you know, you're in like somebody's crevice, like the crook of their neck or behind the knee or the elbow. Do you know what the name of the elbow here is? I think it's funny. So the weenus and the vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Somebody actually named them. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so like crevice, Mm -hmm. you know, I had somebody go down on my armpit once I had like the best orgasm ever. (laughs) So that's the sensual blueprint. Gotcha. The sexual is someone who's turned on by what we think of as sex in our culture. So sex in our culture being intercourse, nudity, getting to the orgasm, erections, wetness. The shadow side of the sexual is that they often are just thinking about the end goal and not really enjoying the journey of sexuality because they want to get off. And so they miss this exquisiteness of all the other blueprints. Hmm. And they will often judge the other blueprints like, what's wrong with you? You know, sex is sex. It's easy. Why do we have to do all this other stuff? I hear that a lot of times from sexuals. The superpower, however, from the sexual is that sex really can be this great orgasmic zero to 60 very quickly, lots of arousal. getting to the orgasm easily. These are some of the superpowers. Sex is fun. Sex is enjoyable. There's a lightness to sex for a sexual. What's interesting, I think, between the sexual and the sensual is the sexual needs to have sex to relax. Like, I'm stressed. Let's have an orgasm. And then like, oh, I feel better. Whereas the sensual is like, how in the world are we having sex? I'm so stressed right now. Like, I need to go get a massage or I need to relax before I could have sex with you. It's interesting on gender too, because we've done, we've had like, I think 2 million people now fill out that quiz. Damn. And so we have like a pie graph of gender and blueprints. And it's really interesting to see that men are actually all across the board. Wow. And that, and there is a high sexual, but there's also really high shapeshifter. And then like, it's almost the same. The whole pie chart is almost exactly the same. Now that could be men who fill out our quiz. Like maybe sexuals don't fill out the quiz as much because they're like, why explore this? But, um, you know, it's, that's fascinating to me is how gender has played out and that women are primarily energetic and sensual, but men are across the board, almost all of the blueprints. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Say at 2 million people, you got a pretty good, pretty good beta test going. Pretty good. Pretty good test going. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The next one is kinky. And the kinky is someone who's turned on by that taboo. And that could be either psychological kinky or it's impact-based kinky, sensation-based kinky. My own partner, Ian, he is a, a kinky primarily. And I was zero on the quiz kinky. And I'm primarily sexual. And he was a zero. And so it made sense exactly like why 
we were complete opposites. So kinky shadow is shame, deep shame for why am I like this? Why do I like these things that are outside the box? Why am I like six and a half years into our relationship? And I did not know he was kinky because he had like, and I'm a sexologist. So I'm like, how do normal people talk about sex if my own partner, you know, didn't feel Thank safe God for you, or he would have maybe never known himself and been able to like, really like fully tap into his, his sexuality. Thank exactly. God. He was the first guy I dated who had vibrators. And I was like, all right, we can date. Like you have your own sex toys. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Um, and then the kinky, also the superpower is endless creativity. Like I can play in the realm of kink for the rest of my life and never learn all the fun things there are to do. I think we have a lot of judgment and projection about what kinky means, but really it is a broad definition because it's anything that's taboo for you. And within that, there's all kinds of things to learn, you know, like if you like ropes, oh my goodness, there's shibari, there's Zen meditation rope. There's like all different kinds of rope ties that you can learn and play with. And take years of study to, to do. And so that can be fun just to keep exploring all the different things. If you're bored, introduce kink. You don't need a, it's just not as a slipknot or a... <laughs> <laughs> no. Although slip. I do like really kink. quick rope ties personally, because I'm a sexual and I want to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. But my partner likes all the slow. And so, you know, learning for that to be my turn on, how do we bridge those gaps? Maybe we'll talk about yeah. that. Uh, and then the last one's a shapeshifter and the shapeshifter is someone who's turned on by all of it. And they love all of these things. They want to play in all of these things. Um, they're turned on by everything. And in their shadow side, they've often been judged that they're too much. And I will say that a good reframe is you're not too much. You're just erotically sophisticated and you're not overly complex you just really have a depth of sexuality that it can include everything, a full spectrum. You have a full spectrum sexuality when you are a shapeshifter. And my theory is that we're all shapeshifters and that's really who we are because we are all of it. Full spectrum sexuality would be exploration of everything and oh. all of it and inclusive yeah. of all of it. But I think we get conditioned and programmed especially because we have so much shame as we were talking about at the top of the show, you know, we have so much shame about sex that we get conditioned and programmed that this is okay, or this isn't okay, or our traumas in life, yeah, you know, exactly. that are unhealed still are playing yeah. out. And so we don't have wholeness in our sexuality. Yeah. And, and I'll also say, and you're already whole and you're not broken. And we're just integrating things that have been disowned back into wholeness. I got to say, I'm probably the first one. Yeah, your mm -hmm. eyes lit up the most when I was yeah. talking yeah. about the energetic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably probably the one. Is it like um because there's another super helpful test I feel like in relationships, which um the five love languages, and there's usually like a one and a two. You know, you kind of have like two, but there's you know, there's usually two, and but there's definitely a one and I had to pick a two. Is it like that with your test or is it more? Yeah. So we get, we have two different ones. One that'll just tell you a primary one. And then okay. we have a more in-depth one that will give you like percentages of every single one that you are. Okay. okay. I, I think this is just me kind of reading a little bit what you might be. I think you might be an energetic shapeshifter. That's right. And I think you're going to love the analogy I always use right. for energetic shapeshifters. They're like the hyper sports car. If they were a car, they're like, you need a master to drive you who like 
knows just like how one to be so attuned to your system. But once, once they know that attunement and they know in their mastery, how to be with you, you will open up and give them a full, you know, experience. So I think you read that just right. You probably actually put more words to it than I even knew, to be honest. Truly, I'm not surprised because of, you know, because being you, but I would say that's right. That was kind of my feeling too, as I was like, it's probably shapeshifter because the rest are, the rest are good, but there's like energetic is definitely the, the feels one. Um, but I can get down with it all. But I also, I, that, I think that's my curiosity with reading the Magdalene manuscript and my, you know, for the last year, I've really been fascinated and wanting to learn more about um, sex magic, sexual energy, and just wanting that, wanting that person that can come in and like meet me there, right? Like actually like show up and not just be disconnected and transactional with it or awkward or like, you know, have there be issues that, you know, get in the way. Um, As an energetic, you're going to feel all of that, right? You're going to be attuned to when somebody's tentative and not confident. You're going to be attuned to they're not really present with me. The number one gift anybody can give an energetic, especially an energetic shapeshifter is presence and awareness. I would say if I could teach one tool, it would be to have awareness and presence with someone to be here now with another human. And that seems so simple, but I think we, we, you know, we getting ourselves back onto the mat or say, you know, per se, I I liken it to like a puppy, you know, when it, when you're trying to get it to pee on a newspaper, (laughs) the mind is kind of like that. Like it wants to go pee in the corner, but you're like, no, no over here on the newspaper. (laughs) And that's like that present moment. So the next step in that thought process though, is now what do you do with it? And so like the first one would be, I would think for, for the other partner given, I mean, I suppose there's ways to practice yourself and I do want to get into self self pleasure practice stuff, but, um, but the other uh, partner taking the test as well. So what happens when you're mismatched? Cause you have totally the experience. You're the expert and have the experience. So is that like doomsday or obviously not? Not at all. It's interesting. I think that people teach a lot like, Oh, you're sexually incompatible or mismatched. And I don't believe that's true. I think it's like languages, just like we were talking about the love languages where if you have somebody in your life and you love them, you're willing to learn their language. And so all it is is skill set. You can learn someone's language. And then what's interesting is you know you've expanded into the next blueprint when their language becomes your turn on. And that's a learnable skill. Like Ian and I, for example, he's kinky. And in his kinky, again, I had zero. So I had to learn the skill set and learn the practice. It seems like it'd be the hardest one to learn too. (laughs) There's a lot to learn, especially when you have a partner who's like, no, I want it exactly this way, but I want to be the bottom, but I want it exactly this way. And so I had to learn how to like navigate his trying to top from the bottom and me like really having the control and him being able to surrender into exactly what he wanted without trying to boss me from the bottom. So we just had a rule of he couldn't talk. And if he talked, he would get punishments. And so we had to come up with what those were, which was super fun. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we just, I just learned. And then eventually I found like, well, what turns me on here? 
okay, well, what turns me on here is when we play the games, the psychological games. I really love psychology. I love getting inside of human psychology. And so when we're playing in a power dynamic, that's a turn on. Or if he's a switch. So then if I'm in the surrendered position, what turned me on was he would tease me energetically and not give me touch. So he would just keep teasing me and teasing me and teasing me. Until I was like, please touch me. (laughs) That's great. Okay. That's like a total way of teasing is just using, using the blueprints, the different Uh blueprints to lean into things and lean out. It's not a matter of like, I touch, I don't touch. Right. It's a matter of like, I give you your language. Like I exactly. Exactly. And so then for him, you know, he's kinky and didn't have any sexual. We found this really fun game where I boss him to have sex with me. So like I own him for like a 24 seven period. And then I get to say like, come, you know, come give me sex right now. And he he's at my whim. And that's the game because now he feels like he's surrendered into it. But I get to ask for only sexual things. And so <laughs> it's super fun. And we find those crossovers. It's like a Venn diagram and you find the crossovers. Plus, I think I think what's happening is we're trying to complete ourselves sexually. And so that's why I have a partner who has a zero percent, has zero percent in what I'm high in. And he has a zero percent in what I'm high in because we're coming into that shapeshifter wholeness and we're utilizing relationship as a tool to do that. That's cool. What about when someone's the same? I mean, it seems like just like in languages, it's easier, but you know, I mean, for people that depends on the sameness and it depends on what your secondary is. So if Mm -hmm. like you're an energetic sexual, so I'm a sexual energetic. I kind of flip flop those two, who, which one's higher. Mm-hmm. If I was with another energetic only, that would be really hard for me. And that actually happened. I have a 20 year relationship that is all energetic. Yeah. And we've been 20 years without talking about the whole poly thing. So uh-huh. there too. <laughs> yeah. And so um, why is that bad? What, what, what is that? What is the problem with two energetics or two sexual? The challenge people? is if one of you wants physical touch. And one of you wants physical sex intercourse. And if one person is like, let's say they're 98% energetic with like hardly anything else, like maybe sensual mixed in there. And the other one's an energetic sexual, then that one with the sexual is going to want to have sexual expression or intercourse. And that could be really challenging. If uh, one, of- Yeah. If they're too much overlap, you end up just pulling the overlap mm-hmm. because you don't have them versus getting fed into the one that might be your number one. Right. And then you can get stuck too. And like just doing that thing. Yeah. Like two sensuals together. If they have a lot of shadow, then they don't ever have sex because they're stressed out all the time. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of need that sexual to be like, okay, come on. Like, well, and you work, I mean, being a somatic sexologist, there's like the body and there's moving the energy. And so like, you know, things get stuck in the body. And I've totally experienced that with just, you know, life and traumas. And, you know, we all think of traumas as being something really, really substantial, like a car crash, but they're not. And so the energy just gets stuck. So how do you know, like, what are some red flags if someone has work to do to get rid of blockages and needs some somatics or needs some kind of healing mechanism? Maybe it's, you know, healing your brain, maybe it's, something else it's there's there's many ways to kind of liberate the body and get things moving but but what are some what are some red flags that 
there needs to be a little bit more work done to to get to a place that is more whole. Yeah, the the main thing is once you know your blueprint, then you can start to look at four categories. One is healing the shadows, which is what you're talking about. Mm. And within healing, I'm always looking at four things. What's happening biochemically? So is there something going on with the hormones? So let's say you're having challenges feeling turned on, or you're having challenges with erection, something like that. Then we could look at, well, is testosterone low? Um, what's happening neurochemically, just looking at the actual biochemistry of someone. So that's the first area. The second is the emotional. Are there unhealed traumas or subconscious programs running? Are there charges around sexuality that haven't been cleared, healed, worked with? Um, I do something called orgasmic gates, which is opening up all of the orgasmic gates. And we're looking for what's the content within any area in the body where there is holding. And so if you're, there's numbness or pain, okay. I'll go through that and go, I feel like I have four, four frameworks going on here. I'll, I'll make sure they're clear. Um, but I'll go into the body. Let's say there's a pain here and we're looking at it in the physical layer. Oh, okay. There's tight muscles in the pelvic floor, or there's scar tissue here from childbirth. There's something here that is in the physical layer. But oftentimes as we go through the physical layer, and we help loosen the muscle or we help, you know, that bring awareness to that area. There's something in the emotional layer. And so then we get into, oh, you know, I feel a lot of anger there because whatever happened in my past. And then we're going to go into the anger instead of resist it. Because often when those traumas enter into the body, it's because we resisted in the moment and didn't get to fully experience it. And then, and that's why psychedelics, I think are so great for healing. And definitely for me was it allowed me to experience the unexperienced as Stan Groff talks about where I got to go back into those traumas that created the CPTSD and feel them, feel them in a safe space when I couldn't feel them when I was little. And so we get through that. So, on, and then that spot, and then the physical layer, then we go into the transpersonal layer and the transpersonal is like you know, oh, I'm remembering when I was in a past life, or I remember, you know, I'm having this image of XYZ, I don't know what it means. In allowing for that, I think a lot of times healers or people, you know, who are doing body work will just be on the physical or the emotional layer. And then we miss things that may be transpersonal content that could be there as a result of, you know, who knows, karmic and all kinds of different things that can come up in the body that the body's still holding. And then the last layer is the truth layer. And so once we've worked through that truth layer, then we start to see things like people going, oh, they're remembering that they're one, remembering, you know, some truth about the, the, the trauma that was there in the body that we were working with. And then that starts yeah, to open up the whole the truth one, the truth one, a little bit more because I understood all those, but then they all felt like truth. So like uh -huh. the there is like what explain just a little bit more of what the truth layer is. A truth layer may come to a realization like oh, I'm, I'm one with everything. And, oh, that was all story, or I was making that up, or truth layer might be, yeah. now I understand who I am, and I'm unconditional mm -hmm. love. Okay, and more like an, uh, like a oversoul, uh, overlay, like a, yeah. like a perspective. Exactly, exactly. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the one way that I'm working somatically that usually starts with that emotional layer, but that can affect the biochemistry, you know, even those, those th remembering things. And 
mean, everything changed for me. My biochemistry changed afterwards. And I, I had such a radical shift in my whole being just based on getting to the truth. I didn't have even have access to that necessarily, you know, glimpses of it, but now to have access to it shifts everything for me, you know, that was my story. So, so going back to these four things in the healing realm, we had biochemistry, we just talked about emotional, and we also talked about energetic. So bioenergetic, what's happening on the bioenergy level, we're bioenergetic before we're anything else. So even on the cellular level, there can be things going on that can affect our sexuality and, and how we're relating. And then the last one is um, physical, da, 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 biochemical, my mind is blanking, biochemistry, emotional, uh, physical, physical air. We just talked, we talked about it. So the physical, what's actually happening in the body. So scar tissue, those kinds of things. So those four that I'm looking at biochemistry, physical and emotional and energetic are always, you know, when we're healing, we're stuck in the healing, we're looking at those four. And so if we're trying to identify for ourselves or identify possibly for someone else who isn't able to see themselves so clearly in your relationship and their situation, it's not necessarily like I'm looking at the, the sort of, uh, um, what would, what would set you off to go into those, we'll go into a space where you could get some hands-on healing work, or you could get into the energetics, the physical, like, would it just be awkwardness? Would it just be like discomfort? Would it just be like, generally just like, Sex, sex is just like lacking. Mm -hmm. It's anywhere where you feel charge. You know, some people can have sex that's lacking and it doesn't bother them, but it's really bothering their partner. And now there's, there's some kind of charge there. There's some kind of emotional content. There's content that comes up and that content could be images that are stuck. Your brain keeps seeing the same image. That content could be thoughts that ruminate. That content could be emotions that feel like they're not processing. They're just really stuck. Um, and that, that content, so thoughts, body and body sensations. So pain coming up, um, numbness in your genitals. These are all the different. And, and I think we, we look at the blueprints. We look at the shadow side of the blueprint. If you're dealing with any of those shadows, that's an opportunity for healing. But then there's also the things like erectile dysfunction, lack of arousal, just things that we think of when we think of sex not being optimized and optimal. Um, any any of those things, we want to look at these four areas. What I mean, erectile dysfunction. What have you found to be the most common reason for it in your practice? The most common reason is the emotional realm and the pressure that people put on themselves, you know, like sometimes like, oh, I didn't get an erection once. And then that starts this loop of issues in their brain. And then the second one is biochemical because we have so much shift in estrogens and estrogenic product, like so many things that are happening biochemically. And I think they're all, they're kind of tied together. Like we get this, we get into this loop and this pattern with it of the biochemistry is affecting the emotional state, the emotional state's affecting the biochemistry and we get into a loop. What role does self-pleasure play in sort of your sexual expansion? Because you can have that with, or with, you know, like you don't have to be... <laughs> You do not have to have a partner to be doing any of this. Right. You can, or you can, it's either what, you know, maybe it's yeah. your self-pleasure. Maybe you do have a partner. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a self-pleasure practice. I do every single day, just like my Tantra practice, um, because pleasure first. And so I feel like it's really important. 
<laughs> and pleasure, your pleasure practice doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to be naked and have genitals and orgasm and all of that. What's your blueprint? I think we think like sexual blueprint only when we think of self-pleasure practice. And, um, you know, if your blueprint's energetic, maybe your self-pleasure practice is learning a tantric deity practice where you're embodying Vajrayogini and you're become, or you're becoming the Magdalene and you're, you know, you're generating some of that, you know, the Isis uh, things that, that are talked about in the Magdalene manuscript, you know, where you're really embodying that and that becomes part of your practice is to embody something that feels like it's that yummy, juicy energy. That's my practice right now. Every morning I do a Vajrayogini practice. Vajrayogini in Tantric Tibetan Buddhism is a Dakini that transmuted darkness into unconditional love. And so every morning I do a practice of embodying that so that when I walk through my day, everything becomes that, but I also feel juicy and alive and my hormones feel healthy because I'm doing these practices that just feel like an embodiment of the goddess. That makes sense. I mean, cause like pleasure is not just like orgasm. Pleasure is not right. orgasm. They're not the same, <laughs> the same word. Pleasure <laughs> is just feeling pleasure. It's feeling warmer and juicy. It feels like alive, feeling confident, feeling clearer, feeling all those things. Yep. Oh, that's good. And orgasm cannot be pleasurable. It can be like a genital sneeze. I mean, sometimes sneezes are very pleasurable, but, <laughs> you know. I think Ella was having lo lovely sneezes over here. <laughs> I heard those. <laughs> and when she's done with dinner every night, she has other pleasures on herself. Too. I let her have it. I'm like, you do your thing. You do you. Isn't it interesting though how we as humans get shame, but animals don't? They like lick their butt and oh yeah, <laughs> they don't oh, have yeah. any shame about it. Yeah, no, no, I feel shame for her. I'm like, <laughs> oh god, I hear you over there. <laughs> so, so it's a good practice. It's like so self pleasure is a way of sort of learning about yourself. It's about pleasure first. Um, and it's about filling your tank. Yeah. 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 And manifesting too, I think it could be a really good big layer to inspire people to more practices. What do you want? And incorporating that in so that you can sort of use the energy to boost whatever it is that you want. Yeah. And that can be personal. That can be for the world. Yeah. I'm yeah. doing the Vajrayogini practice now I'm practicing, you know, every day I end with a blessing. Well, what is my blessing? And right now I'm doing blessing for all the people who are suffering with death and sickness. And that's my intention is that that's something that I'm utilizing the sexual energy to then be able to take that unconditional love and, and bless. So it doesn't always have to be, it could be personal, of course, but it can also be something when we're looking at like tantric Tibetan Buddhism, where you're really giving the compassion to the world through our practice. What about, um, I feel like it's something that I've only learned about in the last few years, a little bit more, and um, it's not something that I watch, but porn. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe I should, but I'm curious about its positive role because I, I think there's sides to everything, but also I'm almost more curious about the negative role of it that it has because you know, in the, in the bit that I know about it, it's not like I've never seen it before, but I don't watch porn and it's just so unrealistic. Like, I don't know if it gives guys an idea of like how a girl is supposed to act or how, how long it's supposed to feel good. But 
you know, I'm feeling like it's fairly unrealistic and it's not very sensual. And it's like, there's just, I don't know. I'm very curious about this, about porn because porn addiction, I feel like even in, in the last few years, I've heard men, it's not something that you'd think would even come up, but they'll say something along the lines of like, you know, and I don't watch porn anymore. And they're like really proud. And I'm like, I didn't ask for that, but it obviously is such a big deal. And it's obviously can be such a, I mean, you've heard even athletes, I've heard athletes talk about how it really was controlling their life. I'd love for you to share what the, you know, the, the shadow side of that and, and how it's grooming people, but mm -hmm. probably especially men, but women watch too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Oftentimes I'll say it's how you use the tool and is it leading you back to yourself and into embodiment? And that would be the question. So I think the way that most people, are they in right relationship with it or are they using it? And so just like any tool, it can lead us to our greatest ecstasies or it can be used detrimentally. And where the way that I see the shadow side of it is the somatic habit that gets formed. And so if you're sitting in front of your computer and you're hurrying and you're getting to like the one part is very sexual blueprinted or oftentimes kinky blueprint because it feels like it's taboo or you'll see a lot of kink and sexual blueprint in porn. And, and so then, you know, if you're rushing through it, you're creating a rush in your body. And that's where sometimes premature ejaculation comes from, or even the erectile dysfunction, as we were talking about, because now you've got a habit that your body knows to get turned on. That habit becomes a rut and eventually becomes a grave. And then you can't get turned on other ways, or you're not enjoying being with a partner because the porn then has become the loop and you have to keep returning to that loop in order to feel the turn on. And there are ways out of that. There are ways to rewire yourself. But once a somatic habit has been ingrained, it's just like neural nets. It's like, you've got now a neural net for that's the pathway. That's the pathway. That's the pathway. And then it becomes your only pathway. And we need to open up lots of highways for pleasure. And so that, and then also it's bad sex education. I mean, don't, don't do what you see. In, I mean, if you, you have to have your face like this for great oral sex <laughs> in the porn, they have to do all these other things so people can see, you know, it's just yeah. like the gymnastics of filming doesn't yeah. do great sex. You Things know? on so, camera are not very real. I'm just wanting to tell everyone <laughs> like cheat to camera is a very, very, very common thing you're told. To <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, get in there, but you can't, cameras can't see what's really going on. What's really good. <laughs> not act like it feels really good. Yeah. Just keep going. I know it's been 10 minutes, but you know, of course it's like a, <laughs> Of course, it still feels good, doesn't it? That's been a half an hour. But the good, the good part of it is that sometimes people need it to feel like sometimes if they're not feeling arousal and they're very visually stimulated, they could use it at the beginning, you know, to like get aroused or share with a partner about like, what about you turns this on? It turns you on, you know, like good discussions about sexuality and what are things you'd like to try and and being open to creating safety for each other to actually have the conversations about what are the things here that do turn you on and how can I fulfill that? That's a full yes for me um, because it may not be the thing that I'm fulfilling. It may be something underneath that, that I'm fulfilling. Yeah. 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 Check it. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, okay. Uh, Polly again, all the rage these days. It doesn't seem that I, I mean, like I look at it and I'm like, who makes this work? But you're making this work. So you're the, per you're a great person to ask. Um, it seems hard enough to have one, let alone multiple, but Hey, 
I'm very curious if this is also the pathway of the future in some way. Like I, I really am. I, I'm, I'm fascinated with, with this and I'm fascinated with the level of confidence that it takes communication, honesty. How does it work? I think it works with a high level of consciousness. A lot, like you said, honesty, vulnerability, I choose the humans, you know, I choose people really well to be in relationship with doing your own personal growth work. If poly is really your way, some people say poly is a lifestyle and some people say it's like an orientation where it's more how you're wired. I've been in polyamorous relationships for 30 years now. And um, one of my relationships is over 20, two of them are over 20 years. One is 16 years and one is five years. Was and it even so, called poly back then? I mean, was there even a word for it back yeah, then? Yeah, it was called poly back then. Okay. Yeah. Relationship, poly, you know, ethical non-monogamy were some of the things. And we have a poly constellation. And so we're like a poly family, more of a family. Yeah. Uh, and it it works really well. We have a lot of harmony. Um, it's not to say that there aren't things that we work out, you know, as things arise, as things come up that are interpersonal. But I think, and people ask me all the time, like, how or how have you been so successful? Because there aren't a lot of successful role models that we see out there. And I think one of it is that we all unconditionally love ourselves. Every single one of us have found unconditional love for ourselves. And then everybody gets it because we have it. So if, if we have it, and it's not to say that you can't have unconditional love in monogamy too. Like I'm not anti-monogamy or anything like that, but that's what makes it work is that we are all have had some level of human awakening. We operate at a certain level of integral consciousness and we love ourselves. And then it's easy to love each other because we're just being love with each other. Do you think that there's a certain kind of person, personality, a way to direct the ship for like who enters and is successful in poly versus who isn't like, Is there any way to sift through humanity and go, this is the kind of person it works well for, and this is the kind of person it isn't? And I heard you already say, obviously, a high level of sort of conscious awareness and consciousness and honesty and communication, but vulnerability. Yeah. I think it's it's a person who has high compersion. I don't know if you've ever heard this term before, compersion. But I love learning new words. Um, So compersion means that I'm turned on by what you're turned on by. And so, for example, like when when my lover Ian goes and he's with another lover of his, I like want to hear everything about it. And I want to I want to know everything that happened because it turns me on to hear about his happiness with someone else. And so I'm turned on by him receiving pleasure in life, not, it doesn't have to be just for me. And so that I have a high level of that. And so do three, Ian's the only one who didn't have a high level of compersion and he would really struggle. And then he, he learned over time to shift that but that was, it was a struggle for him in the beginning. And it was a struggle for us because he would want to limit freedom because he would have anxiousness come up because he didn't have that high level of conversion. But the rest of us were all like, yeah, like you want to see, go tell me everything. You you wanted to see everyone win. You want, you want people to keep winning and when they're happy, that is winning. So what's the, what's the arrangement? 
because there's so many ways to arrange. Absolutely. And I think that that's another thing is like finding what arrangement is right for you. Cause for some people that's, you know, and I don't like polyamory is not more evolved than monogamy. I think some people get that wrong idea. Like, Oh, if I'm monogamous, then I'm not as evolved. I think, I think practicing sacred monogamy is just, I mean, it's beautiful. Like we have these sacred unions and that that can be very, very sacred in and of itself. And so I just, I think some people can start to think that, Oh, I'm not evolved because I can't do this poly thing. Well, if, if, it's bringing you distress, then that's a sign that you're not in the right configuration. That can be true too for monogamy. Like I'm in distress all the time because I want to be with someone else. I have a relationship where we're like, we're complete, he's gay and he fell in love with me and I fell in love with him. And so we had a 20 year, we've had this 20 year relationship and it wouldn't work if we weren't in an open situation, of course, because he likes to have sex with men, but he's in love, has been in love with me for the, all this time. We have a beautiful relationship. So do you have sex then? We have never had intercourse in our 20 years. And like um, any level of pleasure. But we have a tantric total. I mean, we get together and we just sit and we start running energy together and then let's the whole thing opens up and we go into total cosmic. We dance out in the cosmos together. It's completely energetic sexual relationship. And it's the, and it is so hot and so erotic. And, you know, and he said to me, it was really funny one day. I was like, he's like, yeah, we just don't meet in the sexual blueprint. And I was like, yeah, but it's so erotic when we're together. And he's like, yeah, Jaya, you called it the erotic blueprints. I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) it's so erotic. So, you know, there's just things that work too. And I think sometimes people get married and then they find out their partner's gay or they feel like they're not sexually compatible. It's like, well, but you could still stay together and love each other as long as you didn't feel distress when your lover is with someone else. You could still raise a family together. You could still, like, we have so many different forms of relationship and it's paying attention to love, loving yourself. And where do I feel distress within this relationship and how can we adjust? And that all is success because you're innovating your relationship all the time. I don't think we have one relationship we're innovating and people who innovate succeed in longevity because they're willing to innovate. They're willing to have the conversations. They're willing to fuck up and then, you know, fix it and repair. And that's how we operate. We operate. I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. Um, there's somewhere where I'm going to do something and I'm going to mess up, but it's how we repair and how we recover that actually creates even deeper bonds with each other. Yeah. Well, cause it, there's vulnerability in that there's the, the fuck up the I'm sorry is the crying, the mending, like all of that takes a level of vulnerability instead of just shutting down running like all of those things are generally easier than facing the shit. And we're all willing to sit in it when we do Mm. all willing to sit in it and see it as our growth. Like, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to go work on that. (laughs) You know, we'll go, we'll go work on that thing because I think relationship is this beautiful opportunity for us to get even more free. Yeah you know, relationship and sexuality again, how am I utilizing these tools and not mistaking the tools for the thing? Be it psychedelics, be it sex, be it relationship. So then what's the, sort of like in, in Jaya's dreamland of like the cascade of people stepping into their 
into a healthy sexual, sexually healthy situation for themselves and then with others. Um, if that's what they want, then what does that look like? Like, what is the, what is the cascade of that look like when we all get to that place? Mm, I love that question so much. It's so delicious. I feel like we're co-creating right now a whole new world. Um, I see a world where through sexuality and when I see, when I say sex and sexuality, I want people to keep in mind that this is a tool for your own awakening. And that we're coming together without shame and with clear intention that we are in right relationship with our sexuality. And in that, we clear some of the darker aspects on our planet that we have had around sex, the shame, the taboo, violence, because we're all moving into a state together of unconditional love for you, from you. And when you have that, then everybody gets it. And we're going to treat each other very differently when we're coming from a place of unconditional love for ourselves. And then we, and then I believe that orgasm and pleasure and sexuality brings world peace when it comes from that place. We come into a peaceful reality and we don't need any more to be playing out our opposite because we've remembered and we're using memory now for that opposite and for this. And so that sexuality becomes a place of freedom, of unconditional love and awakening on our planet, which shifts our relationship. And we move into right relationship with everything because we realize that everything is us. That's a, that's a really dreamy place to be. And I call it butterfly Island. <laughs> I like it because it's always seems like you know when you're in relationship you can usually look to sex to being one of the places that suffers pretty quickly if something's wrong mm -hmm. and so it tends to be where you're squeezed the hardest and where you sort of like the you, there's the most tension resistance discomfort you know like whether you're pushing against the other person or yourself you know, there's, that seems, that's a, that is like one of the ultimate hotspots. Yeah. I wish for everyone just to have that, that opening, mm -hmm. you know, to have that moment, to have that glimpse through sexuality where they go into that place we've been talking about. That's undescribable mm -hmm. for everyone well. to have that moment. Well, it starts with taking the test. <laughs> it does. I got to take mine live, y'all. I bravely <laughs> took mine live. And um, I'm glad I did. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for, you know, being willing to have this conversation. And I just really appreciate the depth of your questions and the depth of thought of your questions, because it's important, I think, for our planet and for our humanity and for our own discovery of a deepening here around what sex is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I try not to think about like my dad much during this, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, like what would he think when I said these things, but that's the healing, right? It's like on all levels, we're all doing it. I came from that. So, and so did you and everyone else. Yeah. I mean, we're all a product of sex. And the moment we shame the thing that we're all a product of, we've shamed humanity.
you know, I was listening to something and prepare and preparing to talk to you. Uh, some another sexologist said that in history, by controlling sex, you're controlling human psyche because it is such a big part of our existence. One hundred percent. With that, one hundred percent. I do, and especially for those of us who are in vulva bodies, you know, who identify as women. I think that there has been an aspect of controlling our sexuality because our, I, I always warn my clients when they come work with me, I say, you know, cause the men are always like, I want her to open up. I want to, and I'm like, mm, be careful what you wish for. Cause yeah, right. once we open up the sexuality, got dark, dark us in there. Okay. <laughs> oh. Yep. Yep. <gasps> exactly. <laughs> and then they, it often happens. They're like, you told me about this moment and now it has happened. And I hope. Wow. Well, like, what do do like the most common thing? I was curious, like, what the most common thing people come in for, and then what do they? What do you end up discovering? Because there's inevitably a a certain level of comfort to come to work with a sexologist, but then there's still layers of conditioning and fear and and embarrassment, and there's probably something else that you discover in the journey with them. We're like, Oh, there it is. Yeah. It's so fascinating. People often come to me because of the mismatch. They feel like, you know, one has more higher libido. One has lower libido. One wants this. The other one doesn't want that. One has the sexual blueprint. The other one's an energetic. So I often people come to me because of the mismatch. And then what's really interesting is watching how they often have some game they're playing. And that pattern has been running most of their relationship. And so it'll become apparent for me, maybe like six months in somewhere in there. I've seen it now enough, the pattern that is being run over and over. And I, I just call it their game. Like every couple mm-hmm. has their game and, and also single, you know, I'm talking about couples who are coming to see me, but when somebody's single is coming yeah. to see me, there's a game they've been playing as well. And that, yeah. that gets revealed. And once that gets revealed, then I just call what the game is. And then it becomes a decision of, do we want to keep playing this game? It has been revealed and some people can't help it. They're just like, they go right back in. They just keep really? playing the thing. They keep doing it. And then, and then okay. they, they get, a, they can't tolerate it anymore because it's been called out. It's yeah. been, you know, they're like, oh, it just becomes so painful yeah. that finally it, it has to be this internal choice that they make. This isn't serving us anymore we have to stop doing this thing that we've been doing to each other because there's something in our psyche that has been trying to grow and we have not been getting it. So we need to get the thing that it's trying to tell us. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a joke that Jaya has a process for that. So we often <laughs> process through it and get the psyche to integrate back into that part of the psyche to integrate back into source back into awareness of who they are. And the beautiful thing is, is that pattern will all of our patterns, all of these, these, what we consider negative emotions are just trying to lead us back to who we are and they're they're back to source. They're trying to integrate back to source. And so they always want something really good for us, but it can feel really painful in the moment when we're in that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's to revealing that thing so everything can get better and you can feel better and level up right i mean that's the name of the game level up your level your consciousness your your state of being and open yourself up to those ecstatic states where you can live for you know 30 days or so 
<laughs> and that's really, that's a whole other thing. I don't know if I'd wish any, anybody on that one. That was a really intense experience. Wow. Was it like an orgasm for 30 days straight? Or was it like a, just like not in your body for 30 days? It was like, I'll liken it to this. It was like being on 10 grams of mushrooms at times. And then like taking five MEO at times and I hadn't taken any psychedelics. So, it, so it was spontaneous. And I thought, oh, maybe somebody dosed me. That was what I thought at first. Like somebody gave me something. And after a day and it didn't stop, I went, wait a minute, something else is going on here. I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, a little bit of fear started coming in of like, what's happening? Am I like, what is going on? I and go so back <laughs> yeah, I yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are some of the questions. Will I ever be normal again? Will I be able to function? Am I going to have to be taken care of? Cause I'm in this very different state of consciousness. And then, I, you know, and I go into total ego deaths, like it just kept happening over and over again and, and not like just nobody there. And it was really intense. So day five, I started to panic, you know, I started to go like, wait a minute, this is like, I don't want this. You know, if this is like enlightenment, my brain started going like, if this is enlightenment, I don't want it, you know, like take me off the ride. Um, you know, and then I just learned to regulate. I learned to breathe and I learned to regulate through it and all the light shows and the beautiful sacred geometry and all the, you know, just to be like, okay, like, I guess I'm going to have to learn to function in this new place and see what happens. And then I caught on, I have beautiful, and I think this is a really important piece for people listening, like have a team of people who either community of people who are going to be like, okay, we're holding you through this or a team of experts who can hold you through things. My community was incredible of just being like, we're here. If we have to cancel things for the next two weeks and like, make sure you eat, like we're here, we're here for it. And I was having Magdalene types of experiences. I was say, the energetic over here was like, have your energetic team. Like, yep. hells yeah. Like I call them all the time, right? I mean, whether it's in nighttime prayers or whatever the thing, it's like, no, no, no. Like you call on them. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So that I was, you know, moments were very transpersonal where I'm like working with Mary Magdalene and moments of very non-dual and moments of this beautiful geometry and so many downloads and so many things to, and showing me where my attachments were like, oh my gosh, I'm so attached to my son and I'm so attached to my partners and my loves and my work. And I'm not ready to give any of that up. So if I just can be continue to be a teacher, please, please, please. I don't want to. <laughs> uh, that very is very much sounds like a psilocybin you know? journey, like the choosing, you know, mm -hmm. I did a five gram <laughs> you said you felt like you were on 10 and I'm like, holy shit, I was young on five. Um, but there was a point that I had to choose to come back. It was like, no, come this way. If you want to like, it was like, you want to be an ascended master, leave form behind. And I was like, no, no, I like it here. No, like, I want to be human. And yep. then I came back and agreed to all the layers of constructs that it took to play this game. Yep. And that's like, to me, that's beautiful. That's why we're here. We came in a body yeah. and that's that yes. And that we were talking about at the very beginning. It's like, yes, I am. Hey, all life of fuck. Yes. 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 You did too. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. <laughs> so cool. So more, more, was it more pleasure? Pleasure first. Pleasure first. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.